Hi guys, thank you very much for tuning in to another Not The Top 20 podcast. We hope you've enjoyed Good Weekends and it's George Ellick to my right. I'm Ali Maxwell. We're here to discuss some of the goings on across the three EFL divisions from the weekend. And we say it every time, but it's true again. Plenty to get through today. Before we start, just wanted to say thank you so much for those of you who tweeted us Yesterday, followers of our Twitter account at NTT20Pod will know that on Sunday mornings we ask those of you who went to games on Saturday to tweet us with your scouting report. Now, what we're looking for here is not necessarily a recap of the game, but we're interested in hearing the players that impressed you, um, your thoughts on the game, and especially, uh, in a bit of a weird way, what you thought about the opposition and, and trying to be as unbiased as possible because we think that there's some unbelievable information and, and basically research that we can get from you guys as match-going fans, and it's hugely helpful. Now, yesterday's batch of Sunday scouting reports was as good as I can remember, absolutely brilliant, tons of them flooding in, um, really good stuff, and I would just say to anyone who wants to you know, keep finding out more about the EFL outside of the podcast, just make sure you're across our Twitter account on a Sunday, because we try and retweet as many as we can, and uh, it's a fantastic way, a fantastic resource, really, to, to keep up with things. So thank you, first and foremost, and, and, and next, if you're not following, but if you can contribute, follow us at ntt 20 pod on twitter and on instagram as well and uh, it would just be great to get you involved as well we're going to start at the championship start with the championship i should say uh, and a team that we haven't really spoken about very much uh, george in ipswich hull two ipswich nil on saturday this was among other games in the championship quite a big game between teams down at the bottom of the league uh, matt who watched it, said this was a poor Hull team comfortably beating a woeful Ipswich side. The game lacked any quality at all, was over after three minutes when Bowen scored. Ipswich never looked like getting back into it. Both sides have a real uphill battle to stay up this season. So Hull deserved winners in a poor game, but we want to focus on Ipswich this week. It seemed to me like after six games, that first win was you know just a, um, a luck of the bounce or a rub of the green away. As it is, they've lost at the KCOM, winless Three points from seven games, bottom of the league, and putting in a performance like that after two weeks on the training pitch during international break. What, what's going on? Why, why is Paul Hurst and his Ipswich side not hitting the dizzy heights of you know lower mid table? <laughs> the dizzy heights of lower mid table. Uh, I, I was really surprised by this. Um, I was one of the maybe few people who thought that Ipswich's form um, wasn't necessarily as bad as the table suggested, but this was a, a dour display against a whole team that I agree will struggle. Um, they only managed six, six shots in the whole game which given they were 1-0 down from such an early stage in the match um, is really disappointing I, I think Paul Hurst is a manager who deserves time and respect and I'm sure he'll get that from the Ipswich hierarchy um, but you've seen in the last few weeks those people who ne- maybe didn't want Mick McCarthy out who felt like the, the abuse he got at times from, um, from the Ipswich fans was unfounded uh, whether that's from neutral people or, or from sections of the Ipswich fan base or from Barry Glendening they're, yeah they're creeping <laughs> out now and saying well be careful what you wish for uh, which is which looks fair enough I'm very surprised um, that they were just went down so easily in, in a game that you know they've had a really tough start to the season so far and you'd think that they'd look at this game as being one that was really important the biggest game of the season so far a chance to get their first win under their belt a chance to get a win on the road and it just didn't really come to fruition and suddenly this has shifted my mentality about Ipswich entirely, where you now look down their, their, 
next crop of fixtures and you wonder where the wins are going to come from. Uh, they've got the worst possible game now against the best team in the league at the moment, Brentford on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, you can't really see them getting a win there. Although it would be classic Ipswich in recent years just to turn up at home on a Tuesday night. And, and classic and Brentford beat. maybe as well. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, then they've got back-to-back games that are so, so important. I think you can almost draw a line through Tuesday. If they get anything against Brentford, then that's a job well done for Hurst and his team. Then they host Bolton and they go away to Birmingham. I think despite Bolton's decent start to the season, they came down to earth with a crash with a 2-1 defeat against QPR on the weekend. Um, and Birmingham have had a winless start to the campaign uh, as Ipswich had. If they cannot get a win out of those two games, they're still rooted to the bottom of the table then. That's when it's panic stations because then they'd have played Hull, they'd have played Bolton and they'd have played Birmingham in four games and they'd have failed to win any of them. And that's where you've got to start to wonder if they're good enough to be in the, in the league. Some of the things that I noted watching the game back, uh, Jonathan Walters up front on his own, unbelievably isolated, just balls being pumped towards him. The midfield completely bypassed. Now, direct football is by no means uh, necessarily ineffective, but in this sense, it clearly was. And, and there was so little uh, composure on the ball, so little quality, so little desire to play through the midfield a- against a Hull side that really on paper, Ipswich could have gone toe-to-toe with and, and, and they barely featured in Hull's half at all. Um, these players that Hurst brought in were meant to be exemplifying this desire to prove themselves at this level, uh, like Hurst himself, as it is quite a lot of those new boys already out of the side. Um, not only that, but uh, the, the, the local journalist Stu Watson wrote that there was zero evidence of the high press and players overloading the box that Hurst himself has talked of when he's talked about his philosophy. And I just wonder if he's already tinkering with that and if he's going away from that philosophy. I remember you talking about Shrewsbury last season when you saw them play against Oxford and saying it was, it was unbelievable and it was, the press in itself was an, was an incredible part of their system in it. and that was a huge reason why they got the results that they did. But if he's going away from that already, then I'm wondering if he's sort of tinkering too much in order to try and get that first win. And, you know, that's worrying for, for Ipswich fans, for us as observers, and, and disappointing as well, because we had quite high hopes for this, uh, the Hurst-Ipswich couple. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it's definitely not time to panic. Um, Hurst is someone who, as I, as I mentioned, I mean, even with Grimsby, um, it took a bit of time for, for him to get them up. Uh, with, with Shrewsbury, obviously, the, the impact was much more uh, noticeable very quickly where he came in and, and, and led them to safety very quickly. But at the same time, I think that he's a manager who you cannot base um, judgment with after seven games. I know a, little, a lot of Ipswich fans will now be thinking he's out of his depth, but that is entirely unfair. Um, the players he's brought in haven't necessarily or haven't impressed at all, really. I mean, I think NCR is probably the one who, um, who has done well and they've also really missed. Grion Edwards, the obvious other one as well. Um, but the likes of, of Nolan, certainly, um, Caden Jackson hasn't done particularly well. I know a lot of their fans are already frustrated with Ellis Harrison and his complete lack of goal-scoring threat. But these are guys who are making a step up as well. Um, it's, an easy, uh, it's an easy excuse to make, saying they're a new team playing together, making the step up, but, it's also, but it also rings true. So whether they have the time to persevere with this, I'm not sure. I mean, you saw... Flynn Downs giving the ball away for the first yeah. goal on Saturday and then you know, not really making the effort to try and track back whatsoever. And for a 19-year-old, it's naive and it's poor, but he's learning and he's a player with immense potential. So just you know, fingers crossed for Ipswich fans that... I mean, I agree that Saturday was a bit of a watershed moment in the season now where the, the time is over for saying, you know, this is a growing team and the time for results has to be now. But at the same time, two huge games coming up after the Brentford one. 
Ipswich fans, get in touch with us at NTT20pod on your Twitters and your Instagrams. We'd love to hear from you and see um, how you're seeing things so far this season, whether you think it's too far gone or whether you think uh, it, it is still early days and, and, you know, 39 games to go. So plenty more football to be played. Uh, unfortunately for you, we're now going to talk about rivals Norwich uh, in a very positive sense. And uh, that's not something that we've done very much uh, this season. Um, a brilliant goal to beat Middlesbrough. Buendia, Steeperman, Aarons combining and, and Timu Puki finishing. Puki, the Finland international who scored uh, both winning goals in their Nations League games in their 1-0 wins and, and now another winning goal in a 1-0 win. George, this felt to me like a team finally against a very good team in Middlesbrough playing to their potential and putting in a good performance in all areas of the pitch over 90 minutes, which is something that we just haven't seen enough under Daniel Farker. Yeah, this was a huge result for them. It's amazing to think back to the last 10 minutes of the Old Farm Derby. If you told Ipswich and Norwich fans how their fates would uh, would go in the, you know, the, in the game and a half next, next up, it would be very different because... Norwich now have got their foot on the gas. This is a huge, huge win for them. They totally deserved it as well. We've, I think keeping a clean sheet against this, this Borough team and protecting a lead for 32 minutes is something that we haven't really seen from Norwich recently. Um, you know, Leitner getting the, the rave reviews that we saw a lot last season. Uh, Teti controlling the play in midfield. Puki proving again that he's going to be a handful for anyone at this level. Ono Hernandez um, also looking really, really sharp indeed. So... And, and, you know, Tim Cool has had a very, very tough start to life at Carrow Road. <laughs> and I think getting this clean sheet at home will be huge, huge for him. So, underrestimated the championship, I reckon, Tim Cool. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Stephen, who was there, said a negative borough beating by a dominating Norwich midfield. Leitner pulling the strings. Uh, Emmy Buendia, an improving gem to follow. A team effort. And, you know, looking at that front six, you mentioned Teti there, but the other five midfield and attacking players, um, Puki, Buendia, Onel Hernandez, Steeperman and Leitner. Uh, the, you know, these names, it's clear that, that they've done things differently in terms of recruitment. Um, and all of them, in their own way, as individuals, I would say, are, are, are really good and exciting players. So you do feel like if it can click and, and if they can get this possession-based football right and if they can tighten up at the back, then we could be looking at a team that could, could fly up the table. Um, th- that recruitment that I mentioned, perhaps not surprising, uh, with former Huddersfield sporting director Stuart Webber there, who, who obviously mined the, 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 the second division in Germany for, for talent and, uh, and you know, you're seeing with these German players and others at Norwich that he's got a slightly different way of thinking in a way that I think we both quite enjoy seeing it's good to have teams in the league that are doing things a bit differently in the in the transfer market and two young youth products at fullback in Max Aaron's 18 year old looking um, very very good and Jamal Lewis as well who's made that left back spot his own and just another thing um, that I think this signifies that this win for Norwich despite it being obviously beating the top of the table team um, and getting a win after a poor start is just the way that they did it and the manner that they did it I think we've seen under Daniel Farker maybe a lack of game management a bit of naivety in the way they play football and a lack of plan and, a, and a, just a commitment to plan A and a lack of plan B but looking at the stats of the game on, on Saturday and um, they enjoy 72% possession up until the goal which is something we've seen a lot from, from Norwich but then if you look at what happened after that um, they actually sat back and soaked up pressure for, for the rest of the game to the extent that immediately after the goal it was Middlesbrough who had 60% possession of the game and yet only had five shots on target and I think that's a very crucial understanding of how this Norwich team have had to evolve where in the past they've been so naive they've been so committed to playing the way they want to play Whereas here, against a very shrewd, a very wily Middlesbrough team, they got their goal. They were happy to sit back, soak up pressure, and 
defended, and you mentioned with the two uh, inexperienced fullback, they defended admirably and barely gave up a chance. And that is corner turned. Good stuff. Bristol City and Sheffield United met at Ashton Gate. Bristol City coming away with a 1-0 win. A really tight game this between two teams that look like they could be playoff contenders at the very least. Um, what did you take away fr- from this one? Bristol City uh, starting with a 3-5-2 formation, which is unusual for them, but, but Johnson's way of trying to match Sheffield United, a, a great show of respect, I suppose, in that sense. Um, but, but by all accounts, Mark, who was there, tweeted us saying, actually, the game changed when we moved back to, to 4-4-2, back to the, the formation that we normally used and, and went on to get the win. So interesting that he would, you know, especially for a home game, be so reactive to the opposition and, and change the formation. But ultimately, good to revert back when it wasn't working and, and get the win. More positive signs for Lee Johnson, for Bristol City and their fans. Definitely. Um, again, it's another... Uh, example of, of, a, of a mental strength that maybe hasn't been there in the past. I think this is a really interesting game against two teams who had very similar seasons last seasons, but and two managers who maybe I'd, I'd say that Wilder would have the, the upper hand in terms of just sheer grit and determination in the past. But uh, it's, it's one of those games where realistically it was on a knife edge and either team could have nicked it and it took a, a bit of a bizarre goal, but a fantastic header um, from Marley Watkins. And a, and a great and a piece superb, of skill from Oxford youth product Callum O'Dowd. A really great to nice see him back playing. I, I watched it a few times and couldn't really work out how he'd done it, but uh, I'm sure he did it on purpose. And it was Well, I think he did. It's, yeah, no, it's, I, it's, no, it's, no uh, I agree. It's just, this is the type of thing, you know, I'm sure all managers work individually with their players, but there was that great video of Lee Johnson over the summer uh, that Bristol City put together of him in training and the way that he talks to his players the way that he works with them on things to improve and you know for a player like O'Dowd or a wide player who, whose delivery is so important it's it's so important to create that little bit of space that little bit of distance between yourself and the defender in order to get your cross away and 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 clearly from that piece of skill that he did it got the ball onto his favoured side uh, the defender off balance and he was able to swing in the cross that, that got the winner so I thought that was impressive I mean uh, the, the sort of I would say the the mainstream media when they looked at Bristol City at the start of the season saw Flint leaving, uh, Reed leaving, and Brian leaving, and probably went, okay, well, let's just put them a bit lower in our predictions because um, you know who can cope with that? But are they missing Flint? It doesn't look like it. Uh, Callas and Webster possibly even better defenders. Their defensive record's been good. Are they missing Reed? Not really. I'd say Vyman's scoring at a similar rate. Are they missing Brian? Maybe most out of the three. Uh, but even so, Lloyd Kelly, uh, an academy project like Brian, like Brian rather, and Jada Silva from Chelsea on loan, they both look capable. So it's, it's really imp- impressive all round, I think. Um, I'm sure we can all agree. Uh, some big, big winners in the bottom half of the table. Big win for QPR at Bolton, George. There may be looking a little bit better the last few weeks or, or rather just couldn't have got much worse, I suppose. I mean, when you have a headline defeat like they had, um, it's always going to make a big splash and maybe they just weren't as bad as that, as that defeat suggested. Um, I know we it's were... probably also skews all the stats as well, I guess. Well, we were very happy to stick the knife in at the time, so we should, uh, we should make that clear now. But yeah, uh, in their last four games in all comps, they've won three and, they, and they've drawn one. Um, they've kept two clean sheets in that time, just conceding two goals. We're going to find out a lot about them in the next couple of day, uh, games. Uh, two home games against Millwall and Norwich, both very much winnable games, you have to say. And having said, you know, having worried for Steve McLaren's future at the club initially, I think that the, the, the way they've 
kicked on and picked up, especially the, you know the, the acquisitions of both Naki Wells and Tom Hemmed have been been crucial to that. I know that Wells, despite not scoring, has been has made a big impact there and been very popular. Got a nice um, assist on the weekend as well. Exactly. Uh, so you have to be positive for them now. But but as I, as I mentioned, we're, we're at that weird stage now where the knee jerk reactions are over. You know, if you we're just a wet Bristol City who, who drew two and lost uh, one of their first three games mm. and now they're third in the league. You know, the the, the initial yeah. Yeah. thoughts that that you know the, the first few results are going to tell us too much have maybe subsided and we're starting to see the league take a different shape. And, well, Bolton, uh, who lost against QPR, is, is sliding it? down the table yeah. somewhat. Um, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Wales there, Hemed obviously got the winner for their first win of the season, but it was their sort of two existing stars who made the difference on the weekend. Luke Freeman, who we always bang on about, uh, and a very easy with some really nicely taken goals. A huge win for Rotherham at home to Derby. Uh, clearly, we didn't expect this. Uh, I tipped up Derby on the betting show on Thursday. Having said that, um, in terms of what we said pre-season about this Rotherham side, pretty much 24th across the board in terms of uh, pre-season predictions. But, uh, you know, our, our point was, regardless of where they're going to finish, because clearly in terms of squad quality, they're, they're, they're having to punch well above their weight. But do not expect this Rotherham side to be like the Rotherham side we saw two seasons ago in 2016-17. Well, they've got three wins from their first seven games that season they didn't get their third win until Boxing Day. So this season it was the 15th of September. And to beat a Derby side at home, or, you know, albeit on a penalty that looked <clears throat> a little soft, I think, um, you know, at the very least, Rotherham have, have made a really positive start because you know, to be on nine points from seven games I think would be considered a, a big boost for them. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. Um, I've backed. I mean, we'll talk about. No, we can't talk about more on the, on the um, betting pot. Depends. We'll say it now. I'm, I'm backing Rotherham at, at Villa um, tomorrow night. I think that they're a team with the wind in their sails. They're a team who we said last season in the back end of league uh, at the back end of last season were one of the best teams in, in League One. Um, so yeah, they're, I think they're available at eight to one early. I think that might have gone. I'm on at about twenty five to one minus one as well. I just think that they're riding the crest of a wave and, and they're here on merit and the, the, the value. The um, you know, and if you, if you look at their fixtures so far I was speaking to someone about it today who said you mentioned you know he might be a Villa fan but mentioned like what's their away record like and it's you know it's very very poor but you look at the teams they've played away from home so far this season and it's no surprise that it's poor they played uh, played against Leeds they opened up against Brentford who are now league favourites mm-hmm. they went they went to Leeds who at the time everyone thought were basically the best team in the world and they went they went to Wigan who we all rate, rate very highly so their three away games so far have been against three of the top teams in the league based on performance data and based on results they now go to Villa, who I would say are quite comfortably the worst of those four, mm-hmm. um, and have the, they have the best chance against. They come on the back of beating a Derby team who are very well fancied. They've also beaten a Millwall team who people think are fairly decent. And those three one nil wins at home show that they are here on merit and that they're, they're good enough. And uh, you know, I'm not sitting here telling you that they're going to win, but um, but at that price, I think that you know, given what we've seen from Villa recently given that the wheels could easily fall off when they do come off. And you can imagine that Villa Park would be an absolutely toxic place to be oh. if Rotherham do take the lead. I just wonder if there's a chance that we could see an upset. Yeah, wouldn't mind seeing them score a goal or two from open play at this stage, Rotherham. But at the same time, very impressive. Derby less so. We're not going to dwell like everyone else seems to want to on Frank Lampard receiving a red card because I don't think it is particularly newsworthy on, on, on a podcast where we're just trying to Talk about the football where possible. In that case, we'll talk about Reading beating Preston. Uh, Reading, for a team without many wins in the last nine, ten months, they showed fantastic character. 
to, to grind this one out. Real quality in their goals as well. Uh, Swift playing in Bulldog for the first one. And also Bakuna's goal to win it was a brilliant counter-attack and, and full credit to them. Of course, Preston did have their chances and there, there might have been a, a, a slight fortuitous nature to get the win. But then again, we've seen them so many times be on the wrong end of this over the last few months. So full marks to Reading. Um, Ollie Walker tweeted us saying, what's gone wrong at Preston so far? Defensively sound and playoff candidates last season, but they haven't looked anywhere near that standard this year. Can they turn it around? It's an interesting one, this. Can they turn it around makes it seem like they're sort of nailed, you know, I would say yes to that. But to what extent, I'm not sure. Whether they'll get right up towards the the top half towards the top six like we thought they might uh, I'm starting to wonder well it's going to be the measure of Alex Neal this where I know they didn't get promoted last season but uh, the the trajectory of his time at, at Norwich was fairly similar where he came in had an impact got them playing football that got them promoted to the Premier League then they got relegated and then he couldn't arrest the slide in, in the championship here he came in he was a breath of fresh air into the club they had a fantastic season last season really built up momentum the squad hasn't changed too much. The personnel hasn't really changed. The style of football hasn't really changed. They've been lucky, unlucky with injuries, for sure, but that's part and parcel of being a manager and being a, being a football club. So now we're going to see the making of him to see if he can really turn this around. Uh, I thought that the win at Leeds in, in the Carabao Cup, even though it's the Cup, may have been something of a catalyst there because going to Ellen Road in any competition is always going to be handy, especially keeping a clean sheet. But since then, they've dropped points at home to Bolton and they've, and they've been beaten at home to Reading, which is really, really poor. They go back to Ellen Road, on Tuesday night so maybe that can be uh, returning to the scene of, of, of a better event but I think this is where Neil's going to have to prove that he we, we, there are a lot of managers out there um, you know a certain Alan Pardew springs to mind who really really struggle to get teams out of ruts and, uh, and we're going to see here if, if Neil's the guy that can get them out here Jack a Preston fan tweeted us to say and it's funny you mentioned the Leeds result there because it's a, a point of uh, unrest I suppose for some fans he said it's frustrating to see the players from our only good result this season which was that Leeds game in the cup uh, not get a chance really in the league games and, and uh, it remains to be seen whether they might get a chance against Leeds in midweek he said but the, the real worry is we look so bad at the one thing we were properly good at last season in defending and that seems to be a little bit baffling because as you say it's a, it's a similar personnel there at the moment um, from my point of view I think that everyone at the club sort of recognised a need for just you know we, we don't I don't think encourage teams or chairmen or owners to go and splash loads of cash for no real reason but I think there was a need for a bit more investment if they were to remain even at the same level uh, as last season or to even aim a bit higher. But uh, unfortunately for the fans and for Alex Neil, the, for, for whatever reason, the, the, the type of investment I think that, that would have been needed didn't necessarily happen. So not a good start for Preston. Um, we've spoken about a lot of teams at the bottom. We're going to talk just quickly about one team near the top, Brentford looking pretty imperious, George. And, and you were telling me earlier that in terms of the the bookmakers, they've gone into the favourite now uh, from most bookies, joint favourite with some with Leeds, uh, to actually win the division this year. And, and uh, that just shows how they've started the campaign. Yeah, it's good news, isn't it, for us after our, a few eyebrows raised for our preseason prediction of third. God, we did get it wrong, should have been higher. Some unbelievably creative insults aimed at us on yeah. some of those Sky Sports uh, yeah. online pieces. And, you know, it's, it's early days, but it's definitely been a good start. Yeah, and I think they're there by merit. Um, I must say, if I, if I had a ticket, um, if I had a Leeds ticket for a bigger price than, than what they are now, I'd, I'd be thinking about getting out of it because... I think they were just massively overhyped early on in the season and um, the injury issues they've got now 
uh, could just continue to worsen given the what we know about Marcelo Bielsa. But that's old ground, so we won't cover that. But um, yeah, and they've got in Morpai, they've got a, a player who's scoring goals. I found, me re- I found it really funny on the in the Quest DFL highlights when uh, the commentator said that uh, Morpai doesn't need, doesn't miss from there. Not really realised that he spent all of last season <laughs> literally missing from six yards. But he seems to have got, got his, got but his it is true now. that the goals he's scoring are like you would that they're so they're such easy chances that says so much about the way that the team are playing that, that he is getting so many of those yeah. chances there isn't a striker across the EFL that is getting service like he is at the moment no no I, I totally agree and, and they they seem to be able to create chances just at will um, we were at Villa Park in what was probably their poorest performance of the season they still nearly took all three points except for a late goal and they played badly and, and created chances um, so I, I think that it's a really exciting time to be a Brentford fan um, I know we were you and I were very excited and hoped that Fulham would, would get their chance at the Premier League this season. And um, uh, I'm sitting here hoping that uh, that Brentford get that same opportunity because I, th- I think they deserve it. Certainly if they keep up the, the current performance level. I think what's what's been impressive and maybe not discussed that much is, is that a lot of people saying they didn't lose key players this summer and, and of course not to the same extent and not in the same bad timing as the year before. But... Um, Woods obviously went to Stoke Egan Bjelland from the defence and Joseph Zon as well to Derby they were all in their top 10 for minutes played last season so it wasn't like it's it's you know just easily uh, moved over from last season but what's been impressive is the way others have stepped up Josh McEachran Lewis McLeod um, specifically in midfield David Anderson um, who's a Brentford fan that we like who writes really good pieces uh, examining the Brentford squad and how it's going he, he's, he's sort of written quite an interesting piece this week saying that Woods was always going to be such a huge loss because they did, they actually didn't have a player who could replicate his role um, very much at the base of the midfield and, and the only one in front of the defence. So instead of doing that, Dean Smith has decided, instead of trying to make Josh McEachran be something he's not, um, him and McLeod playing a little more alongside each other, sort of more of a double pivot uh, in a 4-2-3-1. It seems like the effect has been, they've not lost too much in terms of playmaking, but they've actually gained a bit more defensive solidity as well they haven't they're not getting bypassed in midfield to the same extent and um you know their defense has been a, a an underrated part of their season so far as well so along with ben rama who just looks fantastic definitely an upgrade i think on uh, on canos who just hasn't quite hit the heights that we hoped for in a beach chair um it's, it's been a really good start to the season and of course they're um you know in a couple of weeks time we might see them uh, uh, going clear at the top of the table remains to be seen but it's time for league one and, George, I must say that there are some Coventry fans who are uh, hmm. sending you tweets, aren't they? They're sending you tweets. Fair enough. Because for two weeks in a Good row, on. you've said Oxford would beat him, you've said Barnsley would beat him, and they've won both of those games, and, uh, and fair play to them. Absolutely, yeah, fair play. Um, you know, obviously, the, the Barnsley one was more about Barnsley than Coventry, but even so, they, they, they shut them out. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, the reason why I was... I was Oh, I thought you meant the results. No, no, no. Was, was more it, no, about no, no, no. I wasn't. That wasn't a negative against Coventry that day. I mean, the Oxford one definitely was. I got. I got that wrong. Um, yeah, I think that crucially. I mean, anyone who hasn't seen the highlights, um, Lee Burge was just absolutely sensational. Unbelievable some saves. saves. Some of the saves he made were out of this world good. I mean, I think the almost the one that was the least the least spectacular, which was the tip onto the post early on in the first half, um, and then obviously the, the save from Dieng as well. Um, he was crucial to it and 
good on them. You know, there, there won't be many teams this season that, that shut out Barnsley and there won't be many teams that beat them. So um, it's a brilliant time to be a Coventry fan. I'm a massive fan of, of, of Mark Robbins. I'm delighted that he's getting a tune out of this team up in League One. Yeah, Charlie, Coventry fan says, best performance of the season. Uh, Chaplin and Clark Harris looking good as a partnership. Chaplin, out of all those sort of deadline day signings in the EFL, looking like the most impactful so far with the way he has started life in a Coventry shirt, depending for the thought of some Portsmouth fans in that sense. Not that they are necessarily missing him, but just in the sense that he never really got much of a chance, but performing very well at the same level. Rob also said it was an excellent free-flowing game. That's what we like to hear. And Coventry just about deserved the three points against a strong Barnsley team who will surely challenge for the title. Both of those guys are Coventry fans and mentioned Kiefer Moore um, as having had a really impressive game, which I just think is really great. It's, it's what I like about these scouting reports. Kiefer Moore, the opposition striker in a team that didn't score a goal, um, but getting a nod. And, and that's why we, we, we really value what you guys are saying in that sense. Um, Rob says, a strong Barnsley team who will surely challenge for the title. We've been saying that so far this season they've actually only won four of their eight games uh, a disappointing few weeks in terms of results do we have to rethink them as, as, a, as a lock for automatic promotion which is I think more or less how we were talking about them a few weeks ago nope no nah I, I think that whilst the performances sorry whilst the results haven't really come around they're still creating a lot of chances we've, we've still seen in, in the data that um, they're quite comfortably the best team in the league uh, according to that I think we're also seeing that Sunderland um, are not, in my opinion, rightful favourites to win um, the to win League One at all. I think Peterborough were already seeing cracks there, and they've started to drop down the table. So uh, yeah, I, I'm still pretty comfortable in my assessment that Barnsley and Portsmouth are currently, um, currently obviously very important, the two best teams in this league, and uh, and I don't see any reason why. I mean, unless they they lose certain players in in January, but given the, the ambition of the owner. Um, I don't see any reason why Barnsley won't, won't kick on and bounce back from, from the, what's been a really poor uh, week or so. You mentioned Sunderland there. They lost to Burton on the weekend, another one that we were on the wrong side of in, ter- in terms of predictions. I mean, again, they went behind from a set piece quite early on. It was something like the sixth game in a row or something ridiculous where they've gone behind first. One of their fans tweeted us last week because you know, they've been saying, well, we, we're showing great character come from from behind one of their fans finally tweeted us saying uh, I'm starting to think actually going behind every game is uh, is not necess- you know is a sign of of true worry rather than one that allows us to show our character uh, in this game they didn't come back uh, Maguire scored a goal and they're already 2 nil down Charlie White got injured um, it's hard to to be feeling like this Sunderland side so well fancied at the start of the season and even a week or two ago, it's hard to actually look at the performances and think, yeah, yeah, they're an absolute, they're clearly the, the class team in the league. I think it's, it's basically the opposite. I, I, I really don't think that they are amongst the best teams in the league. I, I, I think that there's so little evidence to support that they are as well um, at the moment. If you, you look at the team on paper and, yeah, there are some cl- there's some class in there. I think that losing White, what looks like it could be like possibly a season-ending injury, um, is absolutely massive for them in terms of, of just the lack of that target man and that striker who improved them so much in the, in the couple of games um, where he came in. I think that the likes of Catamol is a very big name at this level, but I'm, again, I'm not convinced he's necessarily much better than most other players at this, you know, here. Max Power should be very good indeed. He has been in the past for Wigan, but at the same time, you know, I know that a lot of Sunderland fans are very, very um, taken with, with Baldwin, but 
we've seen at this level before that he's not necessarily one of the best defenders in the league. Ozturk has another issue as well, where has he necessarily settled? I just think that because of the positivity coming out of the club, there's been this idea that Sunderland are back. And I think a couple of early victories, um, namely the, you know, the, the demolition of Scunthorpe, the, the win on the road against Gillingham, uh, what was quite a fortuitous win in the end against AS Wimbledon, showed a team picking up points. But what's happened since then, you know, they, they should have been beaten by Oxford. Um, they struggled to a draw against Fleetwood. They've been beaten on the road against Burton. These are, not, these are three teams who I don't think will be challenging the top seven this season. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that it's, they may improve to get to that level. But at the moment, I, I just think anyone who, who thinks that they're one of the top two or three teams in the league is, is, isn't really looking further than just the name. Sunderland fan Joe said, undone by a slow start and a set piece once again. Neither side were very good. Burton just less poor. An obvious weakness down the flank at Sunderland. So, you know what's going to happen now? 20, uh, on 29th of September, so in a couple of Saturdays' time, Coventry hosts Sunderland. On the betting podcast, I'll be tipping up Coventry. <laughs> and you know what happens next, don't you? 4 <laughs> 0 Sunderland. We look forward to Cue that one. Yeah. Uh, it was Portsmouth v, v Peterborough, and that was. A big game, Pompey beat Posh 2-1 to replace them at the top of the table. Pretty much the first team, essentially, to truly keep Posh at bay. Uh, they, they did get a goal right at the end in, in one of the last kicks of the game. But ultimately, this Portsmouth team that we always call sturdy and solid and well-organised, well, they showed exactly why we say that about them. They avoided getting done on the counter by Posh. They're, again, pretty much the first team that have, uh, that have done that. Um, and it's just been thrilling to watch the performances of, of Ronan Kurt and Jamal Lowe, their wide men. Um, Jamal uh, Lowe scored a fantastic goal on the weekend. Curtis has been a breath of fresh air and, and really cool as well to see Hawkins on the score sheet, the man who, who's keeping Brett Pittman out of the team. And uh, These are the sorts of things that uh, are just really impressive and you know, we, we've spoken about them lots and lots so we won't say too much about that game but Posh uh, demoted to second place, Pompey above them now. Uh, um, the, the big game really in, in the sort of playoff positions or rather you know that those outside that sort of top four or five was Walsall against Doncaster it was Walsall one Doncaster four which looking at where the teams were and looking at their results at the start of the season seemed like a bit of a shock uh, Matt Vale was there Walsall fan said that Donny were just simply efficient and ruthless managing the game brilliantly which added to our frustration and their front three had plenty of spark Wilkes especially Abby a Doncaster fan saying they look revitalised under McCann smart and clinical that, that's, that's it isn't it they do look revitalised under Grant McCann and that is that's just I don't think we necessarily saw that coming put it that way no it's, they've been absolutely superb and I think that especially going to, to Warsaw who, who are you know to use the cliche again riding that crest of a wave and to go 1-0 down and then react the way they have done I mean obviously the penalty was, was very crucial in doing that and we've seen as you mentioned criticism of Warsaw's reaction to that moment uh, maybe a little bit of naivety coming in, but they, take nothing away from Doncaster. They've, you know, they've started really, really well indeed. They went through a bit of a sticky patch, having won their first three games, but they've bounced back now and, and 15 points so far this season. A level on points with the mighty Sunderland. Um, you know, they couldn't have gone better. I did have a bit of a wry smile at, at some of the Walsall fans complaining about the Doncaster behaviour of their players and uh, and them basically getting a bit wound up about them, given that one of the features of Walsall's early season has been how thrilled their fans have been, that how especially their front two, Ferrier and Cook, have been winding up opposition and opposition fans left, right and centre. They got a bit of a taste of their own medicine. Malik Wilkes um, looks absolutely electric, absolute cannon of a left foot, on loan from Leeds, um, winds players up 
Wines fans up no end, um, absolute box office stuff. And John Marquis must just be thrilled to have a bit of uh, a bit of support. A Coppinger as well with a fantastic goal. So th- there was plenty in League One on the weekend. Rochdale got a great win, three uh, 0 against Gillingham. Hat trick for Ian Henderson, who's just an absolute stalwart goal scorer at this level this will be six seasons of 10 plus goals if he reaches it uh, he's on six already so it looks like he, he probably will Gillingham's form very very worrying uh, unlike Blackpool's who got another win with Terry McPhillips now in permanent charge they did have two of their defenders sent off for fighting each other which is rare um, no one seems to really know why or what happened and the cameras didn't pick it up so that was a shame but Mark Boller and Donovan Daniels were now serve a ban Luton won again uh, a great away performance for Scunthorpe and then the Carlin Grant Lyle Taylor duo at, at uh, Charlton looking incredible and um, finally a word on, on Shrewsbury George uh, it was our match in focus on the betting show Shrewsbury and Southend two teams that we didn't feel were getting the points that their performances deserved uh, Shrewsbury hadn't won all season a very comfortable 2-0 win and um, you know they could could now go on a bit of a run if they can maintain that level of performance yeah I think I'd, I'd be excited if I was a Shrewsbury fan um, the performances were there the the result matched it I think Southend didn't really turn up but you have to give some credit of that to Shrews so we thought last season was a bit of a flash in the pan but but maybe not and you know we, we don't we didn't know a great deal about the new manager uh, Askey when he came in but the signs are now that he's he's capable and he's building something and the players they've lost aren't maybe leaving that much of a hole in their team. So to finally get that, that, that win under their belt, it's going to be interesting to see how they kick on now because there's no doubt that they've got the platform and the, and the players to do so. Down in League Two, which is where we go now, there's another team getting their confidence back. And it's Berry after such a miserable, miserable campaign last season. And not an easy start to this either under Ryan Lowe. They do appear to to be sort of fulfilling a bit, a bit of potential, potential by which I mean, you know, the, the, the strength of their squad, really, and the quality of some of their players. We saw it in Byron Moore on the weekend, a guy that's a, a regular of, of League One and League Two over the last decade, I suppose, um, with, with two fantastically taking goals. Um, and you look down the team with Chris Dagnall and Danny Mayer, um, Jay O'Shea, Neil Dans, Nicky Adams, and then their, their back line as well with, with Thompson and Ameson. O'Connell as well they just have a really good team and, and they're, they're sort of easing their way into the playoffs themselves and Oldham as well another team that got relegated both of them looking quite impressive over the last few weeks and um, you know fair play to Ryan Lowe because I didn't look at him and think yeah I'm, I think this guy's going to be an excellent young manager but you know he's well, clearly steadied the ship and, and starting to turn it around well, more. I mean, they've, they've only failed to score in one game this season which was their second game away at MK Dons and I think at League 2 level if you know how to hit the back of the net that's, that's half the battle because if you score goals um, you know the, the defences aren't particularly strong down there but you often see that clubs struggle to, to find the net due to lack of attacking quality so they've obviously got the knack I mean Ryan Lowe is obviously someone who knows pretty much better than anyone in the world how to score goals in League 2 so the fact that he's imparting that knowledge onto his strikers can only be a good thing so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm aboard the Berry bus and Oldham 3-0 winners at Grimsby you're aboard the Berry bus are you aboard the Oldham bus or are you thinking beating Grimsby and their current guys not much of an achievement yeah I think it's Grim Grimsby sadly that um, is sad but yeah it's just hard to know we, we covered it obviously last week and, and you know we really want Michael Jolly to succeed but he seems to be really struggling to do so um, I think there wasn't whilst it may have taken them the, over an hour to break the deadlock on Saturday I think it was coming and, uh, and the way the, the floodgates opened after that suggests that 
You know, all isn't too well there. Some of the defending was just horrendous, horrendous. Sam Surridge cashing in for for Oldham, um, brilliantly taken first goal, and he got another one as well. So uh, Surridge on form for Oldham. We're going to move on now to our final part, George, and it's our team of the week. Now, we've been doing it for a few weeks. We've been lucky to be joined by some great guests to represent their clubs. And uh, this week, we've got a, a popular and requested returning guest to represent a team that won 6-0 away from home, their biggest ever EFL win. Who's coming on? Yeah, I mean, for this feature, I don't think we were expecting to um, to have the same guest on twice in, in a couple of weeks, but uh, we're very happy to have um, Alex Fisher, my old schoolmate, back on, who plays up top for Yeovil. I'm looking forward to asking him um, how he didn't score in a 6-0 route, but... Uh, but, you know, he, he was brilliant last time we were on. He, the people have asked for him again. There's no question that Yeovil without without doubt, the team of the week this time. So uh, delighted to get the fish back on. Alex, pretty simple question to start with. What an unbelievable few weeks you are having down in Yeovil. What, what's been going on? Can you just run us through since we last spoke when you absolutely blitzed Notts County? You've won 6-0 away this weekend. But that's not all, is it? I mean, the run has been more than just these eye-catching results. That's right, yeah. Um, it's actually quite nice to see consistently hard work paying off. Um, the attention to detail that this staff and the management go into to prepare us for each game is, uh, is second to none. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, I feel like we do need the concentration and during the games to, to sort of see these game plans through. And I think on Saturday, it was another game where we, uh, we we played pretty well. I think we had a bit of luck there. If you see the highlights, there was the uh, the odd maybe defence error, but you, you've got to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. And um, you know, we took pretty much every chance we got, and and it was, uh, it was quite a convincing victory in the end. You, you say you've got to put the ball in the back of the net. Now that's something you didn't do in this game. A six 0 win, <laughs> and, and the striker doesn't score. I mean, does that does that smart a bit, or are you just happy to get the three points? Ah, uh, like it's 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 it was such a, a historic occasion for the club. I, mean, I think that was our. Yeovil's biggest ever football league uh, victory uh, so just to be part of a game like that was fantastic obviously as a forward you want to try and get your, your name on the team sheets um, I did help uh, with just I got an assist so that was my <laughs> contribution to the game yeah. um, but it was great to see so many players that have worked hard in the previous games um, get the goals that they've deserved so it was it was nice to see it shared around Last time we spoke when you scored a hat-trick uh, you did say very modestly that you thought you know it was, it was thanks to your teammates and all that sort of stuff so it's, it's as if someone listened to that you know the, the, <laughs> the gods of football and went all right mate well next time you have a big win we'll just uh, we'll share the goals around a bit um obviously Olafella Olamola on the score sheet returning back to the club after being a bit of a hit last year on loan um, what sort of player is he and and how have you and him uh you know started striking up a, a strike partnership uh, he's brilliant. He, um, having already been at the club, uh, he's hit the ground running. Um, so he knows he doesn't need that much time to adjust. And if you see the guy's performances, uh, I think that kind of backs that up as well. Uh, I think it took him all of five minutes to to get to get a goal when he came on <laughs> on Saturday. But he's a really strong player, very clever player, um, very vocal player, and um, you know his quality. Although he's only had what two two off the, off the bench appearances so far he's only just arrived um, you know he's someone that's going to be I can see picking up where he left off and, and Saturday was a prime example of that I was speaking to a friend of mine today who's a Yeovil fan uh, and he said the difference this season just feels like there's this 
insatiable appetite just to run saying that the players just never stop running never stop trying it's, it's like I mean it's that been a conscious thing that's been you know that, that, that Darren Way's told you guys this season he wants you to be the fittest and, and, and energetic or is that just a case that you're playing so well you're enjoying your football and it's just it's, it's all going well so why wouldn't you I think it's one of those where it's quite a few things um, come together to to make the whole. Um, I think we've also we've got players. Last year we had we had we did have a good side, but this year we've got players that are they don't need to be told to sort of put a shift in. Um, if something goes wrong in a game, they ask questions after and they get the job done at the time. There's no there's no there's a no blame culture, um, and um, it's quite nice to know as well as, as a forward uh, if you do say give the ball away that you've got. <laughs> solid set of 10 people behind you winning it back pretty quickly yeah um which which really helps i think um i haven't actually gone through our stats um as much as i usually do from from previous games but i know our winning. distance <laughs> covered was quite significant on saturday as well and that certainly helps it's interesting that i was going through some of the results from last season and this season because i was when i saw the result on the weekend i was like why it always seems to be yeovil who are involved in these like quite weird <laughs> games so since last season since the start of last season i know you weren't there for all of these but the club has experienced the following results in league games um, a 6-2 win against coventry an 8-2 defeat 2-4-3 defeats at uh, 2-3-2 wins and 1-3-2 defeat so in that sense it, you're like well, you know it's always yeovil playing in these high scoring games but then you realise that you've kept five clean sheets in a row. So everyone's sort of looking at, at you and your strike partners and some of the goals coming from midfield, but the guys at the back are more than doing their job as well. Uh, I mean, well, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, including the checker trade, that was our sixth clean sheets in a row. Um, and we were talking about it earlier, a couple of us seeing, I wonder what we were sort of debating what the clean sheet record in the Football League would be for Yeovil, because we've got to be getting quite close, I'd imagine. Um, but it's it's... It's, we always say if you can keep a clean sheet it's the classic cliche in football keep a clean sheet and if you get a goal at the other end then you know you go on to you, you win the game um, and it's uh, I think there's the odd time you've ridden a bit of like um, we've had such we've got such strong players at the back such vocal players good experience um, that you know I think we're quite hard to break down I think that allied to the fact that we do have a very well disciplined team at the moment um, makes it very hard to kind of break us down um, so that does set the platform to allow us to try and express ourselves going forward so you know huge credit to to the back five and the midfield for, for doing that job uh, I just wondered uh, one of the stars of the weekend was Johan Arquin I was looking at his career uh, he's played in France Sweden Kazakhstan Turkey Scotland and England do you and him sit together on the buses and just tell mad stories from your <laughs> from your sort of slightly itinerant careers yeah you and uh, you and I have certainly been have both been around um, he's a great lad as well um, a great addition to the side because he's uh, of I think he's around sort of 29 30 years old so he brings a lot of experience and, and being able to settle in um, away from home is also quite an important uh, part of playing football down here and he's certainly done that but he uh, we've had a few chats about Scotland um, I think he was at St Mirren and, and Ross County and I was at uh, Inverness and Motherwell so both both the two teams who played up there have not been far away from each other so we've got quite a lot of common ground um, but now he was and yeah and credit to him as well actually because not only has he notched a few assists that's his, that was his third goal of the season which was and the first one as well. I always think the first goal is very important in the game, and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the match. So, um, 
yeah, credit to him. He's, he's done really well. But so, yeah, a very, uh, very experienced head there when you name the teams like that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I can certainly speak for myself. Where I wish you the best of luck against Minden. But I think you know, I speak for everyone to saying like a m- massive well done for the season so far. And, uh, and it's been a huge one. And it's great uh, for us to watch Yeovil doing so well. So uh, fingers crossed it carries on going. That's great. If, if I may just say as well, very quickly, um, something on Saturday that was very important to the whole team was there was a charity called Marrow for Mali. Um, sadly, there's a, a Newport uh, a Newport fan who's only eight years old, Mali, who has quite a rare condition called aplastic um, anema. And it was actually quite poignant before the game, going through his story um, and trying to raise awareness for it. It also added quite a bit to the game for us. And I just wanted to raise that on the podcast as well, just to say it's something that's out there and I'd urge anyone listening to, to take a look into his case because it's certainly something that we've taken very seriously at the club and, and I know Newport have as well. Top man, we'll definitely encourage everyone on social media and on the podcast, any listeners to check it out as well and we certainly will be doing that's, so. That's very kind. What a top man Alex Fisher is. Thank you so much to him for joining us again uh, to discuss another sensational result for Yeovil. Um, uh, we just love hearing him talk about football and hearing him talk about his career so far. Um, yeah, just a great guy. So thank you very much, Alex. Thank you all for listening and getting this far in the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. If we do, or rather if you do, um, we just ask for a, a small trade-off, a small something back from you if possible. If you could... Uh, go and retweet the the link to the podcast that we'll have pinned to the top of the page Um, send it to a friend uh, tweet us with any responses to any of our talking points today what we just try and do is keep the conversation going keep spreading the word because we love doing what we do and we would like to continue doing it so as ever thank you very much for listening and until thursday's betting show that's it from us (laughs) 